Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, I'm talking NBA and, of course, some college hoops with my loyal sidekick and producer, Bruce Bernstein. But first... Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. Your intros are simply the best. Now, Bruce, welcome. You ready? I am ready, Monica. You have been one very busy former DC Hooper this last week. What y'all been up to? Oh, my gosh, Bruce. I tell you, I'm living the dream, but it also, there's a lot. So Thursday, we were in Bristol for all ACC. We followed up some big-time women's hoops games. Florida State knocked off Michigan State. NC State knocked off Maryland. Really, both really good games. NC State and Florida State are both ranked in the women's polls inside the top 15, I'm pretty sure. Then, of course, since we were talking all ACC, we had to get in what were historic and ugly losses for both UVA at the hands of a Matt Painter-led Purdue squad and Ohio State taking down UNC minus their big guy, Armando Baycott, and then Cole Anthony taking that nasty blow to the head. UVA and UNC played one another on Sunday. UVA prevailed. We had to talk about Tony Bennett and his team's scoring problem. Ugh, it's ugly, Bruce. Um, and then, so I left Bristol on Thursday, or I left Bristol Friday morning. Had to get it back into the Big East, where my heart is. I had the chance to call DePaul men versus Buffalo. DePaul was turning lots of heads for college basketball lovers because they were 9-0, and sort of uncharted territory for them since, like, 30 years ago. Um, but I tell you, Jim Weitzel and those Buffalo Bulls, speed kills. Like, they ran DePaul out of their own gym and walked away with the win and ended the streak. So, sorry to hear that for the uh, the sons of Mark Aguirre and Ray Meyer down at DePaul. See, that shows you how old I am, that that's who I remember playing for DePaul, you know? Yeah, that's why you keep me around. You know, you need an old guy on the show once in a while, you know, since Pops is on hiatus right now. So so what do you got coming up this week? I mean, you know, in your busy, busy schedule. Oh, man. So what, what's today? We're recording our pod on a beautiful Tuesday. Wednesday, I'm up in New York. Got to finish some projects with overtime. I'll be back on Thursday. Saturday morning, I head to... Raleigh, North Carolina, I'll get a chance to take in NC State in person. They play Elon. Sunday night after the game, fly back to Chicago. Really excited for this one. DePaul women hosting UConn. Now, mind you, the DePaul women, Doug Bruno, known for a challenging schedule. They're playing Notre Dame on Wednesday night this week and will play UConn on Monday. Notre Dame, not what they traditionally are in the women's ranks, 
So if there's a year for DePaul to get him, it's probably this year. And I honestly feel the same way about UConn. DePaul's been playing really good ball, so I'm super excited. All right, so that that you got us up to speed on what's going on in college, at least for now. We'll come back to some college hoop later, I'm sure. But uh, now it's time to talk about the professionals. And, you know, your friend Zora Stevenson was on with us last week, you know. Uh, they never lose. Ooh, literally today I was watching the jump, and the joke was, will the Bucks lose? <laughs> And um, what's our guy? Brian Winhurst was like, yeah, the Bucks are going to win the rest of the, the year. I mean, if he was joking, but wouldn't that be crazy if they go and top, what was that Warriors streak? 82, like 82 game win season? Well, they had, they went, they went 73 and nine. And right now, I mean, look, Milwaukee's got what? They're 21 and three as of uh, Tuesday afternoon. Right. So if you triple that, that's 63 and nine. So they're still a little bit behind the pace of going 73 and nine, but I mean, it really looks like, you know, a lot of times you can tell early in the season, like who are the like teams of destiny and Milwaukee definitely looks like one of them. I don't know out West if it's quite as clear, but I mean, Milwaukee's just unbelievable. I mean, I was, I was looking through some of their stats today, you know, they're scoring like 120 points a game. Giannis is averaging. And, and this was what surprised me. Giannis is averaging just over 30 in about 31 minutes of play in a game. So not only is he just, you know, producing points, rebounds at a crazy pace, but Coach Budenholzer is actually not burning him out early in the season by making him play 36 minutes a night. So I would say that bodes pretty well for their future. So they do this thing in the college ranks, and I'm sure they do it on the NBA level. But obviously, as I'm preparing for games, I have an opportunity to talk with strength and conditioning coaches and such. And the kids wear this device in their shirts and it's measuring their energy output. I would be so curious to get that type of number energy measurement on Giannis. Because to your point, 30 minutes is not the duration of a game. And the type of output that he's given consistently, I won't say it's unheard of, but it definitely puts him in a upper echelon class in terms of basketball players that have done the thing and done it really, really well. Um, I don't even know how you would quantify that. I just think we, I hope that we are truly grasping and enjoying Giannis because he's such a rare specimen. Last week when we had Zora on, I was doing a little bit of research, just kind of looking over Giannis's career up to this point. Now he is, I think he just turned 25. Yeah. He's in his seventh, seventh NBA season. In each of his first six seasons, and so far this season, he has increased his scoring average every single year. So from year one, uh, every single year, he's increased his scoring average. So, and, and at age 25, I mean, you know this as well as anybody, you don't really hit your physical peak until you're probably what, like between 28 and 30? So, I mean, we may not even have seen his best basketball yet. That's even crazier to think about, Bruce, because of where we are in the NBA, right? Like, okay, so LeBron James, we're talking about how he is defying age and owning this washed King title. Would it be out of the realm of possibility for Giannis to be the next type of body, physical skill type in terms of his game, the amount of care and attendance that he gives to his body in the offseason for Giannis to keep doing this for another 10 years? Like, could you, is that feasible to you? 
Well, he is the Greek freak, right? And when you're a freak, I mean, that kind of tags you as almost like a freak of nature, which, by the way, LeBron James is a freak of nature, too. I mean, so, I mean, he might be the Akron freak, but I mean, he already has nicknames, so he doesn't need any more nicknames from me. But yeah, and I mean, and the thing about Giannis that just, he just seems so like not impressed with himself, right? Like he wants, and and this is something, I am not going to compare him to LeBron that way, but the one way I will compare him to LeBron, LeBron is he wants his teammates to be successful. He's not all about like accepting all the credit. And LeBron isn't either. I mean, LeBron's got his haters. People don't like him for whatever reason, mostly jealousy, I would say. But LeBron was always a very willing passer. He always tried to give credit to his teammates. He always tried to trust them. And I think with with Giannis, he comes from a little bit of a different place, but I think he has that same mindset. I would I would definitely agree with you 100%. I mean, you look at a guy like Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe on that roster, it's I don't want to say Giannis could not be who he is without him because I do think as we have belabored this point he is such a unique player that he probably could plug and play and would flourish but I do think when you are guys of acclaim on your own especially a guy like Bledsoe who's a scoring who can be a scoring point guard as much as a distributor you do have to make an adjustment to allow this humongous talent to flourish in a way that it can carry the team or I probably would guess that the difference between Giannis at this point in his career and maybe LeBron is that he has an opportunity to learn and grow from veterans around him and carry a team talent-wise, but doesn't have to carry them as far as the mental piece of it and competitiveness alone. Did that make sense, Bruce? Yeah, and, and I think part of the reason for that is that he has a coaching staff that he trusts who have who and he allows them to coach him. So many talented players don't allow themselves to be coached and I think and I think that's probably more characteristic of some of the international players I think some of the United you know the the American players because of the system they come up in the whole AAU thing where they're kind of designated as a a superstar when they're a teenager or whatever or even a young teenager whereas in the European system or the international system it's it's more like them playing college ball for a college coach that they respected. So they're more willing to accept feedback, process feedback, implement the feedback and become better as a result of the feedback. And I, I see Giannis as being that sort of a guy. I think I would agree with you on that, but Bruce, all right, let's turn the page. I don't look, I'm going to try to go with geography, but I'm terrible at geography. We're going to go East now from the bucks over to your squad. Because you talk about a team that is being coached and learning. Uh, your Celtics looking pretty strong. Four straight wins over Miami and Denver. They're 17-5 and five heading into Wednesday night's game with Indiana. Did you see Indiana nearly lost to the Knicks? But anyway, I get it. Um, what do you love about your Celts, Bruce? Well, one of the things that I really like about them is that they really seem to enjoy playing with one another. And I think a lot of the reason for that is is Kemba Walker. And again, I'm not here to keep bashing Kyrie Irving. I mean, I, I was disappointed with the way things ended with him, although I did want them to keep him, but it didn't work out. But with Kemba, you can just see, and I think we might have talked about this before, he plays with such joy on his face. He like really... It, it's like he's getting paid like $38 million or whatever it is a year to, to, to do what he's doing. 
but it's like he would, you know, it, he's like one of those guys that just loves the game. And I think when you're point guard and the guy who's got the ball in his hands, you know, for the amount of time that he does is somebody full of joy like that. I think the other guys kind of feed off of that. And, and I know that Brad Stevens is probably enjoying not having Kyrie on the team. And I, and I have something else to say about the whole Kyrie situation a little further down in this discussion about the guy who's replacing him in Brooklyn. Oh, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute or so, but I feel like, you know, with Boston, they don't, you know, they, they just seem like, you know, they're, they're really good on defense. You know, they're able to switch everything, all the screen and rolls, they move around the, you know, one guy that I think has really come out of nowhere for them this year that has become a really key guy for them is Daniel Tice, who's like that big power forward for them. He is, you know, he's a good rebounder. He's a good shot blocker. He doesn't, you know, last night he hit a couple of three-pointers from the top, uh, which he rarely even shoots them. And I think, you know, he's one of those, like, you know, dirty work kind of guys that they need, you know, kind of like in the mold of, say, a, a Robin Lopez type of a guy, although I would say Robin Lopez probably a little bit better than him. But uh, I just see a team that's kind of, you know, connected in every sense of the word. I, one of my, you know, good pals, Antonio Davis, who played for Larry Brown in Indiana, he would always talk about you can always tell when a team's got their act together on defense. It looks like they're on a string. The Celtics look like they're on a string. Have you seen much of them? What are your thoughts on what you've seen there? I have not watched a ton of them. I do vividly remember preparing for the MSG 150 in New York when Jason Tatum hit the corner three to take down the Knicks. Um, but I had Jason Tatum on my fantasy team, and this is such a roundabout story. But anyway, Jason Tatum was on my fantasy team the year that he sort of had that breakout year. It was rookie season, honestly. Um, so I've always been high on him as an NBA player. I really like what Jalen Brown brings to the table. I remember following him in college. Um, and I've said this to you. I want to see if Brad Stevens is back to being the Brad Stevens that we were considering the next Greg Popovich when he got to the league for the job that he did without Kyrie this season. And so far, I must admit, I think the Celts look pretty strong. Now, I it's funny because every time we talk about the Celtics, it seems like we can't have that conversation without talking about Kyrie. So I want to shout out Marcus Smart, who basically was like the last time they played Brooklyn. He's like, listen, like this is not about Kyrie anymore. Like, And I get that. And so I think it's dope to see this team move on, move forward with such a strong identity. Um, the top of the East... I'm still taking the Bucks, but the Celtics, you know what I'm saying? You might do something, Bruce. You, you might do something. Well, you know, I think a team like that, now that Gordon Hayward's, you know, back, they got off to a pretty good start with him. They hung in there without him. They were nine and four in the games that he missed. So now he came back last night, uh, you know, ahead of schedule, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I think the, the expectation bar was lowered on Boston a little bit. So, um, you know, they're they're going to exceed expectations. It's pretty clear to see. And and you mentioned Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown has become really, he's taken such a leap this year. Maybe it was getting the money. They gave him the contract extension before the season. So he's, he's going to get paid. But uh, Jalen Brown, you know, is one of those guys that's just a highly intelligent guy. Not just a highly intelligent basketball player but a highly intelligent guy. And uh, I don't see like dumb plays by Boston. You know, some teams, you know, they kind of have these mental lapses, 
whatever happens with them, yeah, they'll have a turnover, they have a bad pass, whatever. But you don't see like stupid decisions late in games where the clock is short and you can't waste two or three seconds. They seem very tight in their thinking. I think Boston's going to have a tough time in Indiana on Wednesday night because I think Indiana is still a little bit feeling like they got a little something to prove with Boston. Because if you remember last year in the playoffs, yeah. Boston swept them in the first round. And I mean, Indiana is was better than that. You know, they just they just weren't they didn't have their act together there. And I think Indiana has come back this season with sort of a renewed sense of purpose. So I would say Boston will probably have had a pretty tough time on Wednesday night. If they win, it will if they won, it will have been a close game likely, but it could very well be that they lost. Mm. But tonight, 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 Thursday, they get the Philadelphia 76ers, second half of a back-to-back, but the game is in Boston. And um I picked Philly to come out of the East at the beginning of the year. You and I disagreed on that one. So uh, I think Philly, you know, Philly might be coming into that game with a little with a little chip on their shoulder too. I would think so. And I get it. And we've actually had Crystal Rich, one of the Sixers outsiders on our pod when we first got this thing going last year in the playoffs. I just, I need to go back and actually watch some film on Philly. And I know that you'll you'll have conversations with basketball people and they'll say, well, who's going to defend Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons is this, that, and the other. Tobias Harris is great. He's one of my favorites in the league, just in terms of his game, it being a total package and his, the way that he approaches the game, his style of play. I just, I cannot buy in on Philly, Bruce. Like, this is not even a basketball thing. Like, don't at me for basketball reasons. This is just... A thing like I just am not in on Philly. I think. You know, they, oh, I think sorry, what I do think is they'll go on a great run. They'll show up. I think they have a Christmas Day game. They'll have some big moments. But I, I just I, when it's time to come out of the East, I just don't have Philly. I just don't. You know, I I have been not super impressed with them either. Uh, Tobias Harris, I'm I'm with you there. Tobias Harris is one of the finest human beings in this entire league. Tobias Harris does more in the community for every single team that he's been on. He is just a great, great guy. And while I'm not a guy who's going to root for Philly, other than, you know, maybe my prediction about him will end up being right. I root for him every night. I always want Tobias Harris to have a good game. But here's the thing about Philly. And again, we've talked about this before. Ben Simmons made a three the other night. He took a three in the first half of a game against Cleveland where they were up 58 to 28. So he decided, okay, I've got the courage to take a three from the corner and he made it. And oh, the announcer went crazy. And I'm thinking, Ben, take a few more of those along the way, like when it actually matters, because you might actually have to make one of those in the playoffs for your team to win a game. And if you're somebody that you never have to guard in that situation, Guess what? You're killing your team. Especially in the NBA. Like, you can't even, you can't do that. You just, you. Can't. I'm so over this Ben Simmons and the shooting thing. It's cute, but it's also pitiful. Like, you're a professional athlete. You need to be able to shoot that three with some confidence. All right, so I know, let's, let's get off of Philly. Let's get off of Philly. And I know you wanted to dig into this a little bit more. Spencer Dinwiddie, ladies and gentlemen, get to know the name. He has been on fire, replacing Kyrie with 10 games of 20-plus points. Of Okay, over the 12 games that Kyrie's been out, 
10 of those, he's had 20 plus points. I got that right, right, Bruce? Yeah, you got it. He is uh, much like the fans in Boston have said Kyrie who. I'm wondering if any of the Brooklyn fans are going to start saying Kyrie who because Spencer Dinwiddie is like an all-star right now. I mean, he, he really is. I mean, and the thing about the Nets, again, you know, they're – their record wasn't bad with Kyrie, but it's but it's been better without him. But one of the things that, you know, besides Spencer Dinwiddie just, you know, playing his butt off, uh, you know, in place of Kyrie, they have really put together a really nice combination at center between Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. I mean, if you look at their combined output in most of these games that they've played in this this 12-game run since Kyrie went down, I mean, there there are nights where both of them are having double doubles, right? So if you're getting like 20 plus and 20 plus rebounds out of your centers, um, that's pretty impressive because, I mean, how many teams can really say even come close to that? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Joel Embiid is capable of that. Even Jokic isn't putting up those kind of numbers right now. So uh Kudos to, uh, to to DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen for really uh, uh, being willing to share the minutes at center, but also um, being incredibly productive. I agree with you there. And it just takes me back to, so when I was in Florida with the American Sports Network, which is now defunct, we did a feature on Kenny Atkinson because he is a University of Richmond A-10 guy. And he's kind of matriculated through, and obviously now we know him as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. But when Kenny talks about basketball, it's free-flowing. And I think whether you love or hate Kyrie, you know the ball is going to stick there. So I think what we're seeing now is reminiscent, again, for whatever reason, people seem to forget. Brooklyn was a playoff contender last year without Kyrie. Yes, the roster looks slightly different, but Spencer, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, those guys were still on that roster. So I think the free-flowing basketball works really well for them. Um, now, granted, without Kyrie, I don't know who exactly you're turning to to straight up get a bucket, but the X's and O's are so strong and it, the execution comes with conviction in terms of the, the screens, the cuts, the pick and roll, that you almost can scheme through that, as we've seen them be very successful over this, this window of time. I will be curious to see if, once Kyrie is added back into the mix, macro picture here, Bruce, if they don't have whatever they deem to be successful in terms of the playoff run, will we be talking about whether or not Kyrie fits the Kenny Atkinson system? I'm wondering if when Kyrie comes back, and again, I know that he may or may not be willing to consider this, but what about keeping Dinwiddie at the point guard and putting Kyrie at the two and letting him kind of operate not having to, you know, be ball dominant, but get the ball in position to score more because he's more of a, I mean, he's a great scorer. He's a great passer too, but I think he likes scoring more than he likes passing. So maybe Spencer at the point, Kyrie off on the two. Is it something that you think he would consider? Huh. I like that. Why not? You throw everything at the table and see what sticks. I still think the ball is going to get stuck with Kyrie though. I mean, I guess Kyrie can give you one and up, two and up. But Kyrie is so much of a shake and bake, ooh, ah, and then I'm going to give you this bucket. It still becomes a stop, a full stop in a, in a fluid offense. Yeah, yeah, good point. We're zigzagging away from the East Coast, back out to the West Coast. 
Let's go to La La Land, the place we all love. The Lakers? I mean, whether you hate them or love them, they're, they're pretty hot. LeBron James is aging like a fine wine, and Anthony Davis, I mean, has have we seen him look better against or alongside another superstar? It helps that the King is leading the league in assists and is the Lakers' second leading scorer. AD had 50 the other night and is playing like someone who died and went to heaven running alongside LeBron. Um, could Anthony Davis be an MVP and defensive player of the year? Is that a thing? That could that could totally be a thing. I mean, it's, you know, it almost looks like, you know, it's between he, he and Giannis right now if you're looking at probably both of those awards. How cool would that be? Um, it just you just look at Anthony Davis's body language. He's smiling, he's happy. He doesn't have to um, the whole weight of the team is not on his shoulders. It's almost like, you know, going into the season, you said, okay, LeBron is going to be Batman and AD is going to be Robin. And that's always kind of been a good combo. You know, Jordan and Pippen did it. You know, lots of teams have had that, that kind of, you know, uh, dynamic duo, so to speak, but it's almost like they're co-equals. And I think LeBron is, is willing to sort of allow that to happen we talked a little bit earlier about how he's always been a generous teammate. And uh, look, he's leading the league in assists, basically, because he's throwing it up to AD, who's just converting everything. That close to the rim? How could you? I mean, and, and AD is supremely talented. But I love your point about how light they're playing. The other night, AD hit that three from the corner. And the bench, like, they nearly tackled him. And it was hilarious. Um, and even when LeBron took a hard foul and ended up on the ground and, like, had his teammates sort of have to drag him before he responded to being helped up, they do seem super light. Um, I'm still sticking with the Clippers out of the West, if you're asking. I know you didn't, but whatever. Uh, but <laughs> and I'm sticking with the Lakers. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, I think I appreciate what's happening for the Lakers more for AD than LeBron because I think it's been so long since we've seen AD alongside an equivalent. I guess you'd have to go back to him and Boogie when they were both healthy. And even then, because New Orleans is such a small market, I don't know that that we celebrated and appreciated that as much as we should. But I'm loving AD back in the spotlight where we're talking about how supremely talented he is. Yeah, and I'm happy for LeBron. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've said for probably close to the last 10 years that I believe when it's all said and done, and we and his career is over and you look at whatever it is that he finally accomplishes and he's not done yet i believe he will go down as the greatest all-around player ever the jordan people will never ever accept that but you know what before jordan was considered the greatest of all time somebody else was so why can't somebody be greater than jordan at some point i like it bruce i like it i support yeah. that yeah 100%. yeah 100% hundred percent. All right. Thursday night. Blazers. Ha ha. Carmelo Anthony and the Blazers. Your guy. <laughs> that is Just, my guy. You never washed that t-shirt, did you, that he sweated I'm, on? All right. Tonight, Thursday, the Blazers, the Carmelo Anthony-led Blazers are back in Denver. They take on the Nuggets. Uh, it is his first time there with the Blazers, obviously. So he's playing his very first team. It's been almost nine years since he left Denver to go play in New York. Will he be welcomed back by fans? Will we get a 
video presentation, Bruce? What do you think? I believe he is going to get a warm welcome, and here's why. I mean, when he left there, when he got traded to the Knicks, he basically forced his way out of town, and he was a villain there. I mean, they just, you know, and, and look, you know, fans are fans, you know. They they felt like, uh, you know, he put his own interests ahead of the team, which he did, which, you know, he's not the first. So it's not like that's never happened before. But I think time has a way of healing, and also I think – a lot of people felt like, you know, after the Houston experience, he wasn't really, he became kind of a sympathetic character after that, which he never really had been a sympathetic character in a really long time. So I think, you know, the combination of he being a little bit more of a sympathetic character, the Nuggets really being a strong, strong team, much stronger than the Blazers at this point, um, and just the passage of time. I think, I don't know about the video tribute, but I do believe when he's introduced, the fans are going to give him a warm welcome. I don't think they're going to be booing him. I don't think at this point that hatred is there anymore. I would be like, y'all mad? If they're still booing nine plus years later, like, are you are you serious? Especially, right. to your point, the last year that he had, as far as being pushed out the league prior to his personal timeline. Um I love Carmelo Anthony. I love Syracuse Mello. I love Denver Mello. Started to lose me a little bit in New York Mello. But this new Mello, sympathetic character, could not have said it better, Bruce. That that nails it. But, and I, I know Terry Stotts has to say these things. I do think that he's doing his best to shake what tends to be the narrative about him as far as defense and, hyper, you know, not not ball hog, but volume shooter. Um, it's a different position for him, but I, I think it's cool how he's responded thus far. Hey, listen, I think he, I think, you know, the, one of the positives of the the last year that he's had to struggle, I think he realized it's like, you know what, you're now, you know, what in your 14th, 15th, 16th year, you're not that guy anymore. And I think, you know, you're not that guy anymore. So just play nice with the others and have a good time and maybe win a few games. There you go. Sounds like a winning formula to me. Yeah. Okay, so Wednesday night, the opposite, oh, man, the opposite <laughs> of a marquee matchup takes place. Man, the Knicks visit Golden State. <laughs> we're, we're recording this pod ahead of that game. It's on a Tuesday. We don't know who won yet. But these two teams, good gracious, combined, they lost. 14 of their last 15 games going into this matchup. Um, but there's a different vibe about the two franchises. And I will say, I am curious to see Mike Miller, Nick's new system, sort of. I'm not going to pretend that suddenly Mike Miller has a different set of groceries than Fisdale had. But I am curious to see if he commits to the younger guys so we see what we actually got. Um, the Knicks are definitely in a different place from the Warriors who are just down on talent this year, but are far more confident and settled in their front office decision-making. You know, both of these teams are sort of in a position this year that they want to try out some of these younger guys because they just need to tee things up for the future. The only difference being Golden State knows they're going to get back Steph and Klay Thompson next year. And 
hopefully they're not going to burn out Draymond Green, you know, playing a lot of minutes in games when they're not going to make the playoffs this year. So hopefully they'll they'll do the right thing for Draymond and not push him to play. You know, I mean, Draymond should be playing about 25 minutes a game these days, you know, go out there, earn some money, get some numbers if that's what you want to do. But don't have him running out there, you know, in the fourth quarter of a game where you're down by 20 points and you're not going to win. So hopefully they can preserve Draymond. They'll get back the Splash Brothers. So young guys like Eric Paschal that they're working with now to try and develop, that's good. That's a good thing. So they're still looking at a bright future. But with the Knicks, it's like, ah. I mean, Fisdale got a raw deal. They, you know, he did not deserve to be fired. He, he's a good coach. He will coach again. Um, maybe we can get him on the podcast one of these days. I don't know if you have his digits, but if you have him, you should give him a call uh, and, cool. and, and see what and see what's up with Coach Fizz. Uh, take that for data. I love uh-huh. it. I was like, <laughs> so I think, but with the Knicks, it's like they're just a dumpster fire and. I feel bad, you know, insulting large garbage containers by comparing them to the Knicks dumpster fire. But, you know, I hope this Miller guy has a chance to do some work. Maybe he can earn himself, you know, some credit. And, you know, they're not going to keep him as the head coach unless they go on some ridiculous streak, which with that crude Monica, do you see that happening? Hmm. I would be surprised. I won't say I don't see it happening, but I would be surprised. But apparently, though, Bruce, Mike Miller actually had, um, when he was the head coach of the G League team before he joined the staff of the Knicks full time, that, like, and um, a good friend of mine was saying, it's really odd that your franchise is actually struggling, but your G League team is legit. So he had the G League squad running like a well oiled machine. So he's, he's thinking the game, um, which, since so much of the potential of whatever the Knicks are going to be over the next few years right now, until we get to another big time free agency class is tied up in the youth. It could be a good fit. I'll tell you who I really like on the Knicks team for among the young guys. I really like Mitchell Robinson. I think, you know, he's definitely got to develop a little bit more, but uh, I mean, I've seen him play a little bit and it's like, you know, he's got some bounce to him. He, you know, he's still a young guy, so he commits some fouls sometimes that you just say, no, don't do that, but he does it. So, you know, you're starting out with him, you know, and, and hopefully, I mean, Kevin Knox, I feel like they've given up on him. He, I got the feeling he's going to get traded somewhere and be good when he goes to his next team. And I you're like clenching your fists. He might get traded somewhere, but I don't know if he's going to be good. He's, no? he's so frustrating to watch. He's talented. I don't know. I don't know, Bruce. Like, and I obviously am not an NBA player. I could only dream of having that opportunity. And I know that coaching and systems matter. But to some degree, playing hard, if you're a shooter shooting with confidence, like, basketball is still basketball. I just, Kevin Knox, I, I just want him to have a little bit more gruff, grit. Like, and I don't know if that's a byproduct of where you are system-wise or if that's something that you just have or you don't. So he needs, you want him to have a little more dog in him is what you're saying. Yeah, like he just, he's, and I get it. It's probably tough to remain locked in and competitive when you're in an organization that's struggling, but just man to man, straight up, like my organization might be trash, but you're not finna just do me any kind of way. Like take some pride in it. I think, uh, I, I really thought that, you know, Julius Randle was going to be somebody that that really helped the Knicks. But the more I watch him, the more I feel like, 
he's in over his head as the best player on a team. He's a nice complimentary player. I think if he's like your third best player, you might be a pretty good team. And they spent pretty good money on him, like $21 million a year. I'm not sure how many years they gave him. I can't remember. But he's definitely in over his head as a team leader. So I don't know. I mean, it's like the, the land of mismatched toys or something. I don't know. But we're not going to belabor that point, Bruce, because I am sort of tied to the Knicks and I enjoy those checks. I'm going to keep moving right along and actually step down a level. Um, so what? I'm actually really curious about what... Wait, 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 wait a minute. How are you going to step down a level when we're talking about the Knicks? See? See? I knew you were going to do that. See? <laughs> See, you know, it, it writes itself, Monica. So switching gears, college basketball... I'm super curious to see what the upcoming NBA draft class is going to look like based on college action. But let's go with Michigan because we love Juwan Howard. Uh, They're hanging tough at number five in the AP polls after losing to Louisville following two big-time wins over North Carolina and Gonzaga in the Bahamas. Juwan Howard seems to have taken what John Beeline left him and is doing just fine. He's got great assistant coaches. They're helping him out a lot. I'm a huge fan of my guy from St. Joe's. Why Phil I, Martelli. I was going to say, why was I blanking on Phil's name? I love Phil. Phil Martelli um, and Mo, Mo Wagner's little brother, Franz, a freshman at 6'8", is helping out as well. Do you buy Michigan the real deal, Bruce? Well, you know, following the uh, their loss to Louisville, They had a pretty good bounce back win. They beat Iowa, who I believe at the time was actually ranked. I think they may have just dropped out of the poll or they're down. You know, I think I think they were 18th at the time. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. But uh, I think I really like how Jawan Howard is giving credit to his assistants because he is um, he really, you know, I mean, look, he's a he's a legend at Michigan. Right. I mean, you know, Fab Five guy, you know. I think personally, I think the Fab Five together should be in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. I don't know if they ever do that, but the Fab Five to me, the the influence that that those guys uh, have 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 to this day, you know, twenty five years after they finished playing in college, and Jawan was always a super classy guy. I mean, and he paid his dues. I mean, Jawan Howard didn't just kind of get this job handed to him. He's worked as an assistant. For a number of years, so, and he's and he seems by all accounts to be a really really good fellow. So, uh, and and I am a Michigan fan. My younger son Adam went there, so I like uh, Michigan. Go blue! And uh, I actually worked with Bo Schembechler way back in the day at ABC Sports. So I actually, I've been a Michigan man who never went to Michigan for a long time. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, go blue all the way. Keep it going, Jawan. Keep, keep leaning on those assistants, but make sure you take the credit you deserve, too. For sure. I know I personally would frame and listen to his speech after his team won the tournament down in the Bahamas when he talked about adversity. Like, this is easy in terms of coaching and taking the task seriously of leading these young men into the next chapter of their lives and how basketball is something that he's just been doing since he was seven, and it means the world to him to be a tool in the next chapter of his life. My heart stopped. I was just... Oh, that speech. I just love it. So I will admit I'm rooting for the Wolverines to do some major damage. So, um, you know, I know that it's probably not the easiest of topics to talk about, 
But, uh, you know, Patrick Ewing seemed like he had things moving in the right direction at uh, at Georgetown. But then they've had some issues with some of the guys and, and off the court uh, bad stories that we've heard. So as a proud Georgetown alum, uh, how are you feeling about uh, things uh, at your old school? So it's crazy. The night that it was hitting, my phone was like blowing up, right? People were like, what do you know? I didn't know much. So I had to do my due, my due diligence. Um, we are in such a sensitive climate. I think rightfully so. There are some things in, our, in the fabric of our history that cross over sports, different sectors um, that we've needed to address and the time is now. Um, if Patrick Ewing dealt with whatever some of these allegations are swiftly and showed a no tolerance policy, I commend him for that. Um, it's a sad situation because you're talking about young men's lives being altered, but we're also talking about alleged victims' lives being altered as well. And so there are no winners in this situation. But I do appreciate that Patrick is not trying to mask or make excuses. Um, and I certainly hope that all involved can move forward um, and that justice will be served if that's what is required. I don't know what the deal is with Akinjo. I've seen some of the paperwork involving LeBlanc, which is really unfortunate. But I do think for people in general, sometimes you get ahead of yourselves and you make bad decisions because you think you have clout or you have right or authority that you don't. And you should pay when you make poor decisions that way. Akinjo's name has not been attached to some of those other things. And if that's just about it not being a good fit at Georgetown, if it's that simple, I think the kid deserves to have an opportunity to play elsewhere. Um, and I certainly hope that the program continues to move forward. I will say I do appreciate how they've responded since knocking off unranked team or knocking off unbeaten teams. They got a good win against SMU. Um, and we got to keep moving forward. But basketball cannot be bigger than character. And, and it cannot be bigger than treating people properly. You know, Georgetown's one of their great rivals in the old Big East was uh, Syracuse, my real alma mater, even though I probably, I, I, I'm kind of almost like even on my allegiance towards Michigan and Syracuse. But it seems that Syracuse is a hot mess. They're five and four. They got all four losses by double digits. It seems like since they left the Big East for the ACC, things have not gone well for them. Uh, you know, Jim Beheim has been coaching for about 100 years now. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a Hall of Fame, you know, coach, obviously. But I just don't know what to make of Syracuse. I mean, you know, it's 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 a, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, we, we you have influence in the Big East, Monica. Will you help get them back into the Big East where they might be able to win a few games? You know, one school that I shed no tears for, Bruce, is Syracuse. They can stay in the and get my all I care. <laughs> they can't lose enough games to make you happy. If they, hey, if they I, could be O for the season, you would be all right with that. I remain completely unbothered. But I will say, I think, and, you know, basketball, these things are cyclical. Jim Beheim. Probably not as successful as Mike Krzyzewski. Very few people are. But he's certainly one of those upper echelon coaches who, when they're performing well, it sort of links with, like, the overall quality of college basketball, which to some of the conversation that I mentioned when we even switched gears to college, I just wonder where the talent is. Like, is this going to be the year of parity because we're so talented? Or is it the year of parity because, literally, the talent is just so sparse across the board? 
I don't know, but I, I just, I never really felt like Syracuse belonged in the ACC. I mean, part of it is geography, right? I mean, <laughs> can you be, can, I, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, Syracuse is closer to Canada than it is to DC. I mean, I think of DC as kind of the heart of big East country, you know, the D, DMV, whatever. Uh, Syracuse is like, they should be like in the North Pole Conference, not in the ACC Conference, <laughs> or the Big East, or the Big East. Ah, uh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, well, so there, so a lot of a lot of people are crying in their orange beer these days. But you know what? They've had a pretty nice run. So you know, it's probably rem- reminds me a little bit of Patriots fans that are booing their team on Sunday. It's like you have no right to be unhappy about anything ever. Take your medicine and shut up. There you go. <laughs> Well said. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you to my producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, for chopping it up with me today. Hope you guys enjoyed our combo. Thanks also to our fantastic editor, Ben Wolfen. Please, please, please be sure to check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and hopefully you caught his two-part interview with David Stern. You definitely want to check that one out. This week, Mike's guest is Ennis Cantor of the Boston Celtics. Bruce, I know you got highlights from that interview. Oh, man. You should have heard what he had to say about LeBron James, about how he respects him on the court, but he no longer respects him off the court. And uh, you'll get an idea of why that is. And also, he'll tell everybody why he chose to wear Kyrie Irving's number 11 when he came back to the Celtics, uh, when he came to the Celtics as uh, this season. And it's pretty funny. I think, Monica, everyone will enjoy hearing that. Listen, that is a perfect tease, Bruce. I'm definitely going to have to check out that pod. Not that I don't always check out my teammate, Mike. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. And those guys have been blessing us with a bonus episode every Tuesday as well. And soon we will be relaunching Catch and Shoot 2.0 on Wednesday. More on that is coming soon. Of course, I'm here every Thursday with a new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. So until next time, y'all, you already know, enjoy Enjoy your your hoops. (laughs) I had to do that. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 